Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello and welcome to the China Sports Insider Podcast on the Seneca Network. I am Haig Balian, and in the bubble in Chaoyang Park, Beijing, this week it's the China Sports Insider, Mark Dreyer. We have a special show for you today. Su Lijia, Lily Su, is on the show today. She won a gold medal at the London Olympics in 2012 in sailing, and she showed up a couple of weeks ago in Shanghai with none other than Peng Shuai, and we asked her about that. But first, it's the last show of the year, and we are going to give our bold sports predictions for 2022. Mark Dreyer, Happy New Year. I suppose it is. Uh, the new year is going to be an interesting one, that is for sure. In, Certainly in the world of, of China sports. Yeah. Well, another new year in the capital anyway. What are, what are your new year plans? I am desperately trying to finish a bit of a special project that um, I might be able to tell you about next week. Uh, so I'm going to have a bit of a quiet one, but uh, yeah, just trying to just trying to tie up some loose ends there. We're going to talk about that in the new year for sure. Um, so since it is the last year of the year, we thought we'd do something a little bit different this week. Just one little bit of news to start off this week, and then we want to take a look at the year ahead. These are going to be bold predictions. They might be surprising in some cases. But before we get to that, uh, Mark, this is kind of a non-story story, but I think we have to at least mention it. Um, and it has to do with visas. What, what can you tell us about this? So yeah, so we're talking about the Olympics here. And um, there's been a narrative kind of pushed in, in Chinese state media this week that uh, the US has applied for all these State Department personnel to, to get visas. And they're saying, but I thought you kind of boycotted the Olympics. So what's going on? This whole thing's a mess. Biden administration doesn't know, you know, what it's doing. And, you know, we, we, we try not to get political and too political in the show, but um, it's kind of, it's, it's just tiresome, to be honest, because, like, it's got nothing to do with the boycott. The, the U.S. State Department is, ten, is tasked with uh, looking after the security of the U.S. athletes and the, the U.S. delegation. Most countries don't do that, but the U.S. does. It's always done that. So they had already planned for a delegation of, of close to 250 people mostly security personnel to come to the Olympics just basically to look after the athletes. So this has got nothing to do with the diplomatic boycott, which we've already said on the show many times is is equally a waste of time. It's a waste so, of time. So we're not yeah. siding with one side over the other. But, you know, it's like the dignitaries who are not going to show up have nothing to do with these visa applications, which, frankly, were submitted 
before the diplomatic boycott was announced. So, yeah, it's just annoying because it's been it's been raised at press conferences this week and the U.S. side has had to counteract. And, you know, it's become a bit of a story, but there's nothing to it. It's just kind of annoying. Okay, well, with that annoyance out of the way, <laughs> let's let's move on to something really fun. Let's move on to your first bold prediction. What is it, Mark? Okay, well, in the spirit of bold predictions, I'm I'm kind of I'm going out there this week, Hike. Um, okay. So, first bold prediction is that China's new motor racing star, Zhou Guanyu, in Formula One this year is going to outperform. His teammate, Valtteri Bottas at Alfa Romeo. Whoa, okay, okay. By the way, you stepped on one of my bold predictions, but okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I think it's going to be it's going to be an adjustment for both drivers. Uh, Bottas has been, a, um, you know, Mercedes for a long time. He's used to kind of being in a super dominant car. Suddenly he's going to be back towards the end of the, you know, further back in the grid. And that's going to be potentially frustrating for him. Joe Guan Yu's got nothing to lose. He has said that, you know, he's just trying to learn as much as it's going to be a learning experience for him. But I think, you know, I don't know. He's obviously not the favored driver of the two, but in the spirit of bold predictions, I'm going to go for it. I think he'll definitely score some points. He's not going to be, he's not going to be challenging for the, <laughs> for the title. Not, not with Alfa Romeo, but, you know, um, fingers crossed. Uh, let's see how he does. Yeah, so my, one of my predictions was that he'd make it to the podium at least once. Ooh, that, that is bold. That's, I, arguably, that's bolder than mine. Look, he finished his career at, in F2 on a real high. He came in third place. He won the last race. Obviously, yeah. F1 is a completely different animal. Yeah. The car is, uh, you know, the car is going to be an issue. Everything's going to be an issue. But we are doing bold predictions, okay. Mark. Yes, that, that, yes. Is, that, is, that, is, that is my I bold applaud prediction. the boldness. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> do, you want, do, you, do you want to hear a bold prediction from me? Yes. Okay. Here, here is one. A Chinese basketball player will get drafted in the NBA draft in 2022. And that player is going to be Fan Bo Zheng. Uh, have you heard of this guy? No. Watch out. Okay, watch out for this name. He's he's already playing for the NBA G League Ignite. Do you, have you heard of the G League Ignite? Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, okay. So if you haven't heard of it, it's like the Ignite is a, is a pretty new thing. The G League is like this development league in the NBA. Teams are usually affiliated with like a big club in the NBA. Players go down, players go up. Uh, sometimes they, they do their con- conditioning in the G League. But the Ignite is this experiment. You know, this is the second year. It's not affiliated with any teams at all. Uh, it's sort of this alternative to the NCAA, the collegiate system, where players get paid and they get world-class development. Three players from last year's team got drafted in the NBA last okay, year, okay. including two in the top 10. So, you know, with Fang, uh, Zhang Fangbo being in this in this class, that, that bodes really, really well for him. So, so what, do, what do we know about this kid? What's his pedigree? Not not much. He went to a high school in Florida. That's, okay. that's what I know. Okay. He was right. meant, he, he had... Um, but he is a Chinese national. He's a Chinese national. And he had been linked to uh, Gonzaga. Gonzaga wanted him. And Gonzaga is yeah. a really great collegiate yeah. program. Yeah. And uh, Florida State as well. Uh, and last year, Florida State produced Scotty Barnes, one of the best rookies in the league this year. So, I mean, this this is looking yeah, good. It's I mean, exciting. It's it's definitely kind of changing the um, you know, changing the setup, I think, as well, because historically all the Chinese players would come through the CBA and be on the right. radar here and get drafted in that more traditional international draft. But, you know, with with more and more kids, we're seeing it in other sports as well, a lot of Chinese kids in tennis and, and golf and so on, going over to the US for high school, mm. kind of getting into into the ranks that way. So this would be really interesting. Yep. So let's let's just watch out for that in 2022. Okay, Mark, your second prediction. Second one. Okay, this is bold. China is going to qualify for the FIFA World Cup. 
<laughs> which wait, wait, oh, come on this, come this, on i thought wait. you could I, I, was, I was hoping for a longer pause as for, for before the laughter okay but wait the, i have to talking, be honest the, 20, be honest. the 2022 world cup yeah okay i'm i'm joking Okay. I'm not. I'm not going to predict that. Okay. I'm not going to predict that. Okay, is, okay. That is too bold. That is too bold. <laughs> pretty bold. So my second one, my second real one, my second real one, is that the Chinese men's hockey team do not get embarrassed at the Olympics. Mm, that's good. Um, this is a story that that regular listeners will know about. But you know, when when we kind of first covered this way back and and, and earlier, you know, I spoke to someone who had predicted they were going to lose one hundred to nothing. It was going to be that bad when when a team of Chinese youngsters played NHL All Stars, but in fact, we've got both of those two things have, have changed because the uh, the Chinese team has uh, has a number of, of heritage recruits from North America, and of course the NHL players are no longer playing. Now they're still going to struggle. They're still going to have it very tough. But I think I think they'll score some goals. Um, this is actually quite bold. Uh, some hockey experts are like, yeah, they they're not going to score, but I think that they will. They've struggled on the back end uh, there was a game last night uh, they played in finland they uh, lost 7-1 i saw that score um, yeah you know and this is you know they're on the wrong end of the khl which is you know the obviously significantly weaker league than the nhl but who's going to be on the roster for canada and the us and for germany they're yeah. not going to have their nhl players yeah. so i think china is going to be outmatched for sure but i think they'll do okay and i'm really pulling for those guys you know i've kind of got to know them spoken to some of the players people in and around the team you know, I hope that they can kind of have, yeah, at least do themselves uh, proud because the players have been put in a tough situation. And we're going to know sooner rather than later. This is something that's really cool. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's just in a few weeks. Well, five or just six over weeks, a month. Just yeah. over a month. Yeah, we're going to we're going to we're going to see those results. So I you know, after all this time talking about it, thinking about it, I'm really excited to see what actually comes out of this. Hi, prediction number two. OK, this is maybe fanciful. <laughs> that's the spirit. That's the spirit. Come on. But here it is. Yeah. The NFL will hold an exhibition <laughs> in China in 2022. Okay. 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 Look, look okay. We, we talked to NFL Steph Shao earlier, just a little while ago. Yeah. And just to be clear, she gave us zero indication that anything of this sort, anything like this yes. was going to was up, right? Yes. A lot has to happen for this prediction to come true. But... Oh, man, I don't know. Okay, so an exhibition game would would have to happen during the NFL's offseason. And that's during, you know, July, August. Maybe enough time will have gone by. It'll be the summer. Hopefully the this this wave of COVID will have sort of dissipated. It'll be become endemic in the United States. Borders will have to be open. And yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking about how how this could possibly happen in in in, in this kind of dream world. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. This sort of parallel universe. I mean, maybe like the the whole US gets shut down and the league has to relocate. And of course, and of course, China's strict quarantine rules will will not exist at that point. Yeah, man, okay. we should probably move on. Yeah, okay, let's move on. All right, so <laughs> <laughs> bold, 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 dumb um, prediction. Okay, all right, my third and final one. Yeah. It is quite bold, but I, but I, I think I think there's a chance here. If there's one that's really going to come true, I think it might be this one. The Olympics is going to be the only major international sporting event in China in 2022, and that includes that includes the Asian Games. Right. So my prediction is saying that China is going to cancel the Asian Games. Wow, that's pretty bold. Yeah. I realize that's pretty bold, but I just don't see there's not as much political. You know, impetus behind the Asian Games. There's not as much face saving that needs to be done to say we will definitely. The IOC, for example, had been pushing China to to postpone 
you know, Beijing after right. Tokyo was delayed, you know, Hey, let's just take a bit more time. China didn't want to do it. China was like, no, we will hold this. Whatever happens, come what may, we are holding the games and they, and they are despite, you know, Omicron and so on. But I just don't see the Asian games being quite as politically important. COVID's still going to be a big, big issue in China for all of 2022. And of course, we have, you know, the big people's Congress towards the end of last year, which will be shortly after the Asian games. So that's another reason, like if they if there's an outbreak at, at, at the Olympics in in the bubble and they think the same thing's going to happen in Hangzhou for the Asian Games, yeah. just just push it back a year. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't see, unfortunately, I mean, we've already know that well, tennis is out, um, F1 is out. You know, I don't see anything else happening, not international sporting events. Yeah. There'll be the domestic leagues kind of happening, presumably in their bubbles, and it's kind of painful to see. But yeah. That's uh, that's my prediction for the the sporting landscape here for 2022. I have one last prediction. Yeah. And that is that there won't be that many political protests at the Beijing Olympics. <laughs> Who exactly would be doing those protests? All, the, all those non-spectators? Yeah. Well, but you know what? We've talked about Rule 50 quite a lot in this. For, oh, from the athletes. From, from the, the athletes. athletes. Okay, exactly. Okay. We'll yeah, about, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So, sorry. That, sorry. That's right. what I meant. You know, yeah. yeah. So we've talked about Rule 50 a few times on this podcast, and that's the rule from the IOC limiting any sort of political speech. Yeah. Um, kind of their, their right or otherwise to expression. Yeah. Right. It's to, to maybe some approved locations. Right. Yeah. So they don't want they don't want any protests on the field of play. They don't want protests on the podium. I listen. I think free speech is vital. I think people should be able to express themselves however they want, whenever they want to. I think that, you know, a lot of athletes are really into competition. They, what you know, they spend all their time, you know, in the pool, on the track, in the skate, you know, skating, whatever they do, skiing. And this is what they're focused on. In Tokyo, there were not that many protests there. Now, yeah, of course, there really yeah, in China, China's, of course, a different animal. Um, yeah. There's a lot more controversy getting it coming into this Olympics, but... Yeah, I mean, I don't think just most athletes just aren't that political. I mean, we'll we'll see. Yeah, I think you could be right there. Um, you know, I think a lot of them can be political, but sure. but you know, we're talking about issues that are so far removed from from their comfort zone and, and and their sort of their area of expertise. And athletes have put in a very difficult position when they're asked about you know geopolitical issues half the world away, right? Are they? Are they reasonably expected to be experts on these things? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, we'll wait to see. Yeah, I could be surprised. But again, we'll we'll have an answer very, very, very soon. Let's end this with two hopes. You have a couple of hopes for the new year, and I can't wait to hear them. In the spirit of, you know, supporting our former podcast guests, uh, Stefan Marbury, who was on the show yes. a couple of weeks ago. My hope is that his Beijing Royal Fighters make the playoffs. He was saying that the first part of the season hadn't gone quite to plan, but, um, you know, things were things were coming together. Uh, so uh, hopefully hopefully that will happen. And then, you know, once you're in the playoffs, who knows? Anything can happen. Sure. Second hope is that Lu Jiajing, a tennis player who was in this studio just one week ago, achieves her goal of breaking into the world's top 100. A little bit of an injury at the moment. She has a wrist injury, um, but she's been up to uh, 162, 163 in the world before. So if she can get back on track, hopefully get some visas to uh, to travel, because I know that's been, uh, she was saying, after the interview with with her coach Olivier Grignier, she was saying that that was a little bit difficult to, for traveling for the Chinese athletes right now. But uh, assuming that that takes care of itself and the injury heals up, then uh, we wish her all the best. And that's it for our bold predictions. I, for one, am feeling pretty confident about most of mine. Maybe not the football one. Our next guest is Su Lijia, uh, Lily Su. 
She won the gold medal in the women's radial class at the 2012 London Olympics. Her story is amazing. She went into intensive training when she was just 10 years old and went on to become one of the top sailors on the planet. And last week, she popped up in photos seen around the world. We're going to get into all of that. Here is our conversation with Lily Su. Lily Su, Sulicha. Welcome to the China Sports Insider Podcast. So, so delighted to talk to you. It's my pleasure. Lovely talking to you as well. Last night, I was watching the highlights of your 2012 London victory, uh, of your gold medal win. And, and you gave an interview right after the race. And it was great because you looked so excited, so enthusiastic, and you, were, you looked so exhausted. Can you just take us back to that moment, you know, almost 10 years ago now? D- do you remember what was going through your mind? Yeah, I can't believe how time flies. Nearly 10 years since I won the Olympic Games. The memory I have was I can't really remember very much of the detail of that day's racing. Many small scenes I only recall when I watched the video back. So that's quite interesting. On one hand, I was very, very focused, but so focused that I, I can't remember very much of it. It's just like in a state of, of very peaceful mind and very focused and doing all the, all the things I can control over. Lily, um, on on the strength of your your gold medal in London, I, I was actually there covering the, the the games for for Canadian television, and I was sort of based in the main area in London. Of course, you were up there because you carried the flag at the closing ceremony. What was that experience like? To tell you a little story, I was sailing. We are not in London. Uh, our competition is in Weymouth, a small town three hours away from London. That's right, on the south coast, right? Yeah, we have uh, our sailing at this village. And then we, we were living there during the competition. And then on the closing ceremony day in the morning, I got a phone call from my team leader saying, Lily, go to your room and then pack up uh, a little <laughs> backpack or something. And then you will be driven to London and then to be the flag bearer. I wonder if he's joking to me. <laughs> so he said, hurry up because um, it's three hours journey. So we need to hurry up and then head to London and then reunite with the team in the men athletes village in London. So that's the time when I got the news and I couldn't tell my parents uh, as I was told because that was still a secret until quite close to the closing ceremony when there's some press conference and then the leader of the Chinese Olympic Committee announced the news a few hours before the closing ceremony. And my father even joked that the night I won the Olympic Games, he had no trouble of sleeping. But the night of the closing ceremony, he, he just couldn't sleep at all. Because there are dozens of gold medalists in China for yeah. every Olympics, but there are only one flag bearer. So that's a huge, huge honor indeed. And we're getting the chills just just listening to you tell the story. I mean, one incredible experience. I mean, one of the things we wanted to say is that in Beijing 2008, there were there were just about 50 gold medalists. You know, so, so to win gold is, of course, very special. But but to, as you said, to be the flag bearer is even more special. But what does it mean to become an Olympic champion in China? I mean, it feels that China takes the Olympics so seriously and they're so patriotic and proud of all its athletes. You know, how, how did it change your life? Yeah, it changed my life completely. For me, I feel I realized the several generation of Chinese sailing people because for me, my elder teammates, they reached the top eight 
in the Olympic Games in Athens. And then before her, there's some of my older sailors, they got qualified for the Olympics. And then a decade before, my team leader told me that they have to count run backwards. So towards the end, uh, one, two, three, four. For several generations of Chinese sailing people, we just climbed the ladder one step and another. And when I got the chance to represent my country, I finally moved it a little bit more forward. So from top A to first of all, in Beijing, I got the bronze. And then four years later, I won this gold. And in terms of my life, I just feel I got more opportunities to meet with elite people from all areas of life, all areas of uh, career. And uh, to be honest, the, the first half a year, I didn't enjoy it at all because just completely overwhelmed by the media attention and I felt I have no private life no privacy and my parents even joked uh, Lily you don't need to tell us where you're going every day because we can see that on the press <laughs> <laughs> I remember probably that's one of the reasons I sort of want to escape uh, that's why I chose to to study in the UK for for a few years and just feeling have a little bit more freedom and then after some years nowadays when I think back there's nothing right or wrong it's just from a very peaceful and a very common life suddenly to be someone under the limelight it, it needs some time to get used to so for example now I know much better how to deal with it and I get I will always give recommendations to the new Olympic champions, to the youngsters who are going to face their life challenge in that way. It changed completely, but I, I do cherish those experiences. That's also another reason why I'm doing sports media now, trying to fulfill my other dream is to promote sailing as well as all kinds of sports so that China can not only good in the Olympics, but for everyone in China, they can enjoy sports as well. You know, that's interesting. You, you mentioned the, the sports media because, you know, since last night, I've been listening to your, your podcast, the Laser Sailing Podcast, and it's really, really, really good. And you've talked to a couple of dozen um, sailors so far. Um, wh why, why did you start the podcast? I think since I studied sports broadcast journalist in Southampton, I, I just feel I wanted to do both Chinese and English media work. And then for English, probably I would like to focus on in sailing, uh, focus on sailing because um, there are plenty of wonderful sailing legends all over the world, whereas sailing in China is still quite small. Not many people know about it or know how to sail or ne never, never sailed before. So that's why I choose to do this sailing podcast in English. And then also, they're all my good friends. Um, <laughs> why not? <laughs> you know, I was listening to the one, to the interview with um, Annalise Murphy last night. And, and I just, uh. I just loved your conversation about like how physically uncomfortable it is to sail a laser. Yeah, I think people who don't know sailing probably think it's not physical at all. But for us, we know that it's, nothing less than a professional cyclist or athletics. 
because our daily training routine requires six to eight hours of training hours. Uh, in the morning, we have morning exercises from 6 a.m. for one and a half hours, some running, stretching, and then having breakfast at half seven. And after one and a half hours rest, the gym session or cycling session starts at nine for two to three hours. And then lunch at 12, sailing at one, and then we won't come back to shore until five or six before the evening for dinner and then some physiotherapy as well as some self-studying. So that's our daily routine. And ironically, we don't have much rest days, uh, which is not good in terms of scientific training. Uh, so in early days, yeah, I, I didn't train very scientifically, which left over some serious injuries that I feel a little bit pity for because sailing is a sport that is very tolerant in terms of age. For example, in Rio, there's a gold medalist from Argentina in sailing aged 54 mm. and then he still appeared in, in Tokyo at the age of 59. So if if I'm fit and healthy, uh, I, I counted, I can, it will be my ninth Olympics if I can do the Olympics at that age. Um, that's, yeah, something I feel a bit sorry for myself because back in 20 years ago, my coach don't know much about scientific training. And it was not until when I traveled to the US and the UK and learned about some better ways or methods of training and then the important idea of recovery and nutrition that can help us reduce the injury ratio and then recover better. Something I wish I could knew earlier. <laughs> Lily, it's so refreshing to hear you talk about, you know, the importance of your know, proper training and recovery and nutrition and all those things. And, and you know, it's, it's something that I've heard people complain about across so many different sports in China, you know, the, some of the outdated training methods, but it sounds like things are, um, you know, definitely moving in the right direction, which is, which is really good to hear. Can I, can I just ask you to take us back a little bit further? Like, how did you get into sailing in the first place? Was it something you chose? Were you sort of recruited out of school? You know, how, how did you, how did you get into the sports? Yeah, uh, that's a long story. I'll just try to make it short. Um, I started swimming, which is my first sport at the age of five. And then the reason my parents sent me to the swimming pool is I constantly got sick, got flu, got fever, got temperature. And then they just want to boost my immunity by doing some exercise, doing some sports, and then uh, picking up swimming sounds like a good idea, uh, which is a basic skill. So that's why they sent me to the swimming pool and then every day after school, uh, two hours of training in the pool. Five years later, my optimist sailing coach uh, went to the swimming pool. She was trying to figure out the parent's height so my parents are pretty tall and then she's looking for some future suitable sailors figure and then they uh, she approached to my parents who was waiting outside the swimming pool uh, as i was training but my parents had no idea of what sailing is neither do i i think uh yeah 25 
years ago, something like that. Very, very few Chinese people knew about sailing or never seen that on the television or through any media. Really had no idea. Can't pop out any picture about sailing. And then my parents just replied to, to the, this coach and say, oh, we, we, we will discuss with our daughter. As I finished the swimming, I, I ran towards the, my parents and then they, they asked me whether I would like to try out sailing. I said I had no idea as well. Uh, I just said, why not? I, I didn't refuse the idea of trying new things. So in 1997, at the age of 10, during that summer holiday period, uh, my father drove me two and a half hours uh, into the suburb of Shanghai, which is Dianshan Lake. Yeah, we did training together for two weeks. And then I got the good news of being selected by the Shanghai sailing team. But sarcastically, when I brought back this good news to my parents, they don't appear to be very happy because they knew choosing sailing means they will lose me. For swimming, I went back every day after school, after training. But for sailing, because it's so far, so far away, and in winter, we train in southern China, which is further away, like in Hainan, Guangdong, and Fujian province. Switching to sailing means they won't see me all the time. And it ended up like once a year for one week's holiday. So this was from the... How old were you at this point? This was from the age ten. of what? Ten. Ten. Age of ten. Wow. Yeah, that's quite unacceptable for my parents. Whereas for me, I, I'm not mature. I knew very little about this feeling. But I, I did remember uh, I, I cried almost every day when I first left home and then uh, to another city outside Shanghai. And at that time, we don't have cell phone. We don't have computer. We write, handwrite letters, uh, which is a nice memory. But every time when I got there, letter or with their reply i just couldn't help crying for six months before i finally get used to that type of life uh, which is living with my sailing teammates uh, the interesting thing is the first year i was sharing a single bed with another sailor a female sailor we there's probably eight sailors in a, in a room <laughs> very very crowded and then life is getting better the second year, three sailors were sharing two single, single beds. So we slept sideways. <laughs> and uh, from the third year onwards, I finally got my own single bed. <laughs> so Lily, that, that, was, that was a really interesting story. And, and I've heard variations of this kind of over the years from, from, from other Olympians here in China. Now, this is a tough question, but, but I'm guessing you kind of have mixed feelings. You know, on the one hand... You, you sort of have those memories of, of being away from your parents, but at the same time, you won Olympic gold and you, and you got to carry the flag. Like, like how do you see it now? Was, was it sort of a necessary sacrifice, you think? Is that the way that you see it? Or, or is there some other way? You know, do you think this is still how, how Chinese Olympians are going to have, what they're going to have to do in the future? Or, or is the system changing to some extent? I think there are some progress ever since my generation first of all we invited more foreign coaches more foreign physio and, and trainer which is very helpful for our scientific training program and um, but in terms of our system seems pretty much similar 
because as you know, we are state funding on one hand. We don't need to worry about money. The nation covers all the fees for training, racing, buying equipment, and then everyday living. And we even got salary. But on the other hand, it feels like we sell our freedom to, to the country and then we have to obey everything they plan for us. I, I can't say whether that's a necessary sacrifice or something. I just hope that in China, sporting can gradually become more of a hobby and then some elite athletes can come out, run clubs, run amateurs. And I think it is only through love that you can do things great and you can conquer all those challenges and setbacks. For me, myself, uh, I must say I'm very lucky. I found something I truly love doing. For example, without sailing, I can't imagine if I can live in, in such a good situation. Maybe just a, another common student graduated and then doing everyday office work or something like that. But then sporting create my life into a much wider possibility and opportunities. I must say I still prefer the Western way of your sporting system, which is in line with how I feel. So for example, I, I, I love sailing. I'm willing to put all the efforts, willing to give all the sacrifices, whereas some of my teammates, because they don't really enjoy sailing, they just kind of just do it as a chore or as a as a work to earn some money then they can't do it well yeah in china there are that kind of athletes existing i don't know <laughs> it is a quite tough question i would say without the state funding opportunity or system there's no way i can become a professional athlete or even an olympic champion because it's very costly in that 20 years there's no way my parents can afford it uh so i just cherish this opportunity and then as I repeated again and again I feel very lucky I found something I in, in love with I, I mastered it I and I succeeded and then there are many many athletes probably they spent the same years in their golden age like in the in the young age in the first 20 years where uh, education is the most important thing but we 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 lost a lot of that as well Lee um I know you've been you talked about you know the the life that you've got to lead since then and how it sort of changed your life and you've been quite active particularly in the media I I saw um that you were it looked like some sort of car show that you were on with with um with Daniel Liu from from the Porsche Driving Academy um I actually know Daniel. I did some media training with him earlier this year, and he just won the uh, the Porsche Carrera Cup. So, um, what what was that experience about? And you uh, just saw the photos from your uh, from your social media. I was invited to the E Formula One China Championship final the other day, and then when I got the invitation, I said I know nothing about Formula One or esports, and they say, yeah, no problem. They just want a person who know nothing about this and then give it a try and then share my feeling. I said, oh, are you sure? Okay. And then that's why Daniel, is that Daniel? I don't know yes. his English name. Yeah, okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's why Daniel appears or acts as my coach or my teacher and teaching me how to drive this uh, E-Formula One. What do you call that? Simulator? Yeah. Yeah, Formula One simulator. 
And I have, I have to ask you, you've been very active. The, the previous week, you were at some event, I think in Shanghai, and there was, there was pictures with, uh, with Yao Ming and with Peng Shuai and with, and with uh, Wang Liqin, the, the table tennis player. Some of those photos, uh, because you were with Peng Shuai at the time, sort of w- were, were quite popular overseas. You, can you just tell us a little bit about that, about that whole event? How did that happen? Yeah, I, I must admit, I got much, much more response from my foreign <laughs> friends <laughs> right. the following day. And then one of my French friends teasing me, oh, you're all over the French news and newspapers. Uh, your photo with Feng Shui appeared on the headline, etc. Uh, I wasn't surprised uh, because we know what's happening with her. And uh, my husband, a British sailing coach, also talked with me uh, about his worries. Uh, many Western people are, are worried about that. I just feel sad that I don't know how the news got to one extreme, which is so untrue. Yeah, that event, because that ski World Cup or, or event um, happened, hosted in Shanghai. And then quite often I got invitations like that to support that event. So it's one of those events I got invited to. Uh, so that's why you see three Shanghainese. Athlete. And then Peng Shuai flew especially from Beijing. Yeah, she got invited as well. That's why we happened to be all together and watching the ski racing by the bond, which is a very beautiful scene. Um, and just one question before we move on to, to, to looking ahead to, to the Beijing Olympics, of course, coming up. You mentioned Peng, you know, she, she looked very happy and smiling in the photos. Did you guys talk about anything that had happened? Did she say anything? Like, um, what, what would you say to people listening overseas who kind of see those pictures and and figure, you know, what's going on here? Yeah, uh, of course, we can't avoid chatting about this Western media thing. So I just give her my, for example, my husband's worries and saying, uh, because I don't actually know what's really happening before I met her this time. I just heard those news from China and uh, the Western media, but I didn't ask her personally about what's happening because I don't want to intrude her privacy. But once we met, we just chat and, uh, and I asked her, what, what's going on? And then she's, I don't know. She, she's, she looks like happy and then living with freedom. And um, she said, uh, ATP never contacted me before they say I'm missing or something. She said she, she never reached by any people who, who started this media uh, discussion or, or the media coverage, the, the bad news or the worrying news. Yeah, she just as normal in Beijing and I can't pick up anything unusual from her. So when my foreign friends ask me about her or see our photo together, I just say yeah, she's very well. She's more than well. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, you can see. As you are probably aware in just what, five, five and a half weeks time, there's going to be a massive event happening here in Beijing. The, uh, the Beijing Olympics will start very, very soon. And any plans on coming up here? And, and do you have any role to play here? The other day I got very excited when I got, uh, received a message from IOC asking me which sport is most popular among our former Chinese Olympians because they wanted to apply some tickets for us as a bonus. Uh, and I immediately replied the message saying uh, figure skating uh, because that's one of the sport combining with art 
it's very beautiful and then we audience can really enjoy their performance for both uh, showing both the power of sport and the art and the beauty from dancing etc and this, the second reason is of course uh, the Chinese pair got the opportunity to win a gold medal so uh, I, I replied that to that message but so far I haven't got any confirmed trips to Beijing for the Winter Olympic but fingers crossed maybe I can travel and then watch some sport on site and then you can catch up as well yeah but we're kind of keeping our ears open for um you know for ticket ch- <laughs> ticket yeah. channels I, I guess just sort of a final question on 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 Beijing you know with with COVID if you could put yourself in the mind of the Chinese athletes, you know, who will be competing in, in just over a month's time, how much more challenging does the whole COVID situation make it? You know, there's there's all this testing. We have this new variant that everyone's talking about. Not just, you know, all the foreign athletes coming in. There's a lot of risk involved. And, and unfortunately, it's it's taking a lot of the spotlights away from from what we like to focus on, which is the sports and the athletes and the competitors. But it's real. You know, it, it, it's a reality. How much how much more challenging do you think that makes it for, for not just the Chinese athletes, but for everyone? It brings me back before the Tokyo Olympic. I was there as a journalist and host for China Sports Media. And then I think even one month before, everyone's talking about whether the games will would go in ahead or not. I don't know either. So at least this time, we I know for sure it will happen. And I feel so confident for my nation that Beijing will host a fantastic Winter Olympics and then bringing back a, a wonderful uh, show to all over the world. Uh, it is true the COVID is um, challenging globally, but as you live in, in China, you know how good China is dealing with those situations. Uh, probably too careful. At, at the moment, yeah, the, the government is very cautious and then we take a lot of precautions and it is challenging, but I, I feel confident it will it will go smoothly. And uh, even despite, I think that the government or the organizations are prepared to, is prepared to dealing with single cases whenever there happens. And then I guess for all the boring Olympics, they, they can't wait for the games to go ahead as well. As an Olympics, I know how that feeling. Training so hard, four years, a cycle. And uh, I just want to, to give my performance on that stage and not to be affected by other factors. Well, I think that's a great, great place to leave it. Thank you so much for joining us. We really, really enjoyed talking to you. My pleasure. Hoping can see you in person fairly soon. Yes, love, love, love to meet in person, Lily. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Okay, there's there's a lot to unpack in that interview, Mark. So first thoughts. Yeah, I, it, look, it was great to talk to her. She was so open and honest about her career and 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 some of the things that we talked about. I think, look, I think we have to start with with what she said about Peng Shui. Yeah. We didn't really know what she was going to say uh, at all. And I think it was, you know, we wanted to give her a chance just to sort of explain what kind of happened behind the scenes. Did she know? It was interesting, I, I thought, when when she was talking about, you know, hearing some parts of, of from the Chinese media and from, from the U.S. media. It, it didn't seem that she kind of had like a full picture of, of, of what a lot of our listeners would have had, for example. Sure, um, sure. Even though she'd said, you know, her foreign friends have been talking to her about it and, and about, uh, and about her, her British husband. Um, but I think it's important to, to, to remind everyone that the news of the whole Peng Shui scandal has just simply not existed in China. 
which is where she lives, and and she's going to be largely reading Chinese news. So, so that that is that is important to to, to remember there. Yeah, there was one point where she mentioned something about the ATP. I think she, I think she meant the WTA. Yeah, yeah. Um, just, just, just to clarify that. And 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 actually, on that, you know, look, if, if that's what Peng Shui said, then 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 fine. But but I'm pretty sure that the, you know, I I know that the WTA have been contacting tennis players in China. So I'm pretty sure they would have at least tried to reach out to her. I'm not sure her narrative is really going to sway people in the West. Yeah, I think, you know, from from from. The videos and the pictures that have been released, you know, that obviously the, the the story from the Chinese side is that is that Peng is, is free and happy. Those pictures certainly convey that message, but that's not going to convince people on the other side about how truly free and happy she is. Um, and nor was what what Lily said to us going to change that either. Um, it, I think it was important for us to ask her about it because I, I certainly haven't seen anyone else uh, who have spoken to or heard from anyone who's spoken to Peng Shui since the whole thing blew up. In terms of the other stuff she talked about, there were two bits that really stood out. And, and you know, one was, I mean, her dad saying, when she told the story about, well, winning a gold medal was, it was pretty good. But actually, when you got to carry the flag and he couldn't sleep, I was like, that was, that gave him the chills. It really did. Yeah. And then the, the other part where she just talked about, in a really, she, you could see she was kind of conflicted about, about the sacrifices that she'd made and being away from her family at such a young age and, and crying because she was away. But, you know, she's so patriotic. She's so proud of China and, and talking, you know, in glowing terms about the support that the, the system gave her. And she couldn't have done it. Her parents couldn't have funded her to do sailing. So, you know, th- these completely com- contradictory emotions, but I don't think she, she, she she's where she is today because of everything she went through. So... That's it for this week. That's it for this year. Thanks again to Lily Sue, And thanks to you as well, listeners at home. We hope you like listening to the show as much as we love making it. Wherever you are in the world, we're wishing you a safe and happy new year. We'll be back next week and pretty much every week after that. Goodbye for now. Goodbye for now.